Joseph Project is really bigger mm-hmm. than helping somebody get a job. Mm-hmm. The Joseph Project right. is a family. When you become a part of the Joseph Project, you become a part of our family. Right. And there's no man, no woman left behind. We've had situations where people have gotten caught up in the system with child support, just got their jobs, starting to pay child support, mm-hmm. and they still got locked up. They call and say, man, we've been locked up for child support. Drive all the way to Racine, fifteen to $1,800. Mm-hmm. We, we, we paid the bill to get that fella out and get him back to work. Right. And that fella hasn't looked back. People really want to work. Right. They want to change. They want something different in their life. And that's what the Joseph Project is offering. They're offering a change. It's bigger than the money. Right. It's the ability and the opportunity to have something new, to have something that they never thought they could obtain. That's what the Joseph Project does. I'm Kevin Nicholson, and this is the Right Idea Podcast. Uh, three hours a day, four to five days a week right? We give them spiritual fitness. Mm -hmm. We give them conflict resolution. We give them interview skills, one and two. Mock interviews. Mm -hmm. We give them communication skills. We give them goal setting. I mean, that's just a few of the workshops we put together for these guys. And each piece, teamwork. And we, our goal is to teach them that you're about to become a part of a brand new team. Right. And you have value in the team. And everything you do affects your team. Right. You know, it's to me it's amazing. You're also offering people some, some themes that we've been talking about throughout today, which is redemption, forgiveness, right? You are you are there for people. That young lady that you just talked about, um, uh, presence of family right that that somebody who is going to be there understands that at times you will fall you will make mistakes but yet at the end of the day we love you and we're human and we want you to be successful and that really does change it gets back again to some things we're talking about but it really changes a perspective and a mindset i'm kevin nicholson volunteer president and ceo of no better friend corp Thank you for joining us for season two of the Right Idea Podcast. This season, we're sitting down and having conversations with a series of great Americans to celebrate our country, to talk about addressing our challenges, and to lay out a path forward. At this moment in time, our nation is struggling to come together as we continue to navigate the health and economic challenges presented by COVID-19. We're now in the home stretch of the 2020 presidential campaign, where there is a very clear and wide divide. And after the death of George Floyd, both peaceful protests and riots have broken out across the country. From the depths of the Depression to the midst of World War II, the American people have gotten through much worse. But this is a challenging time. Today, we hear radical cries to defund the police coming from politicians and teachers unions. All as the future of our children's education hangs in the balance. And it's hard not to feel that a fair amount of that debate is being conducted with an eye on the 2020 presidential election. Despite the uncertainty and the often negative stories that dominate our screens and our feeds, there are positive stories in our community and there is a path forward as a nation. And it was an honor to have a conversation with a community leader and pastor who is today working tirelessly to change lives and to make Milwaukee communities a better, safer place. A man who is helping to bring God and prosperity into troubled hearts 
and disadvantaged communities that are seeking positive change. I'm excited to introduce to you Pastor Jerome Smith of Greater Praise Church of God in Christ and the founder of The Joseph Project. This is The Right Idea Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Pastor Smith. Um, we're here at the Greater Praise Church of God in Christ in Milwaukee, and I really appreciate you coming on the uh, the Right Idea podcast to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. So what I'd like to do is start our conversations, though, with a question that I'm asking everybody, which is when you think about the things that make our country great, and I know this is a time of great upheaval and volatility and everything else. We'll get to that. But when we first think about what makes our country great, what do you love most about America? Ironically, freedom. For me, I think that's key. And I know a lot of people say, well, we're not free. Well, baloney. <laughs> baloney. I can pick up my Bible at any time I want to. don't have to worry about right. being persecuted for it. I can walk into the church any time I feel like it. don't have to worry about who's going to come in and cut my head off for it. Right. So that in, a, in itself is valuable to me. It, it makes all the sense in the world to me. Right. That's what's important to me when I look, think about the freedom of America. And that's it, right? Because we, you're, you're right. At this moment, we hear a lot of voices, whatever, mainstream media, social media, whatever, talking about uh, the limitations and you know what's wrong with the country and everything else. But you're talking about a fundamental freedom that cuts to the, the structure of the founding of the country, which says that you are endowed with your rights from God, That's right. not, not from our government. Correct. And that it's not for the government or anybody else for that matter to come in and try and restrict or take those things away. And I think so often is what we're seeing now, whether we're talking about, well, really it's people of any age, but you see it a lot with young people, not being able to benchmark our freedoms in this country versus what people have elsewhere in the world. I know you have been ministering to people in Milwaukee for many years. Um, we'll get to talk about the, the Joseph Project in a bit and that particular piece, but you've been just ministering um, and sharing your faith with people for many years. As you see young people in Milwaukee today, what is their understanding of the freedoms that you're talking about in our country versus what does exist elsewhere in the world? Again, ironically, I think a lot of these young folks don't really see the freedoms. And I think it's because they have not experienced abroad. Mm -hmm. I think they have not researched abroad. They have not seen what's really going on out there. Mm -hmm. um, my wife, my family, and I, we've been blessed to travel the world. I mean, we've been just about everywhere. There's a few places that I, I dream of going, and I'm going mm -hmm. to go. And you will. Uh, but uh, I've seen some things that just blow you away. That, you know, if you got caught in the airport with your Bible, <laughs> you're not going home, brother. Right, <laughs> right, right. They found it in your hotel room. You're going to be arrested, right. you know. And so, you know, I serve as the uh, world missions president on the Bishop Cedric Daniels here in Milwaukee, mm -hmm. Wisconsin first jurisdiction. And I have the privilege and honor of being able to interact with our international uh, world missions president for the Church of God in Christ. And he's all over the place. And sometimes when him and I talk, he shares with me some of the things that's going on. And some stuff he says, you know, some stuff I can't even talk about because it's illegal. Can right. you imagine it being illegal to preach the gospel? To preach the gospel. That, that's scary to me, you know. Right. And so when I talk about religious freedoms, that's what I'm referring to. That I can talk about my God. I can talk about the goodness and the greatness that he's done for me. The power. Yes, it's... it's what you're talking about is essential to our ability as humans to help each other, to share these stories, to say, 
the truth. And, um, you know, we're going around the state right now showing a movie called um, No Safe Spaces, which is basically pushing back the entire left, far left uh, initiative to stop people from being able to say certain things, whatever. Sometimes it might be an unpopular opinion. Sometimes it may be politically incorrect. Sometimes it may just be common sense. Sometimes it might just be sharing your faith. But it is for no other American to say you shouldn't say that. And if you do, we'll try to castigate you, shut down your church, take away your tax exemption, do whatever it is that they're threatening at that exact moment. All that reeks of what we've seen from monarchs, socialists, fascists, you name it, throughout human history who try to limit people's ability to just speak openly and plainly. And that's exactly what you're talking about here today. Man, if it had not been for God on my side, Brother Kevin, you and I wouldn't be here. Right. Man, I'd be dead and gone. Right. You know, I told you, I took a 45 semi-automatic, put it in my chest, and pulled the trigger. I'd be dead and gone if it had not been for the Lord. Right. Man, religious freedom is powerful to me. Right. And so when I look at these young folks, I pray for them. My heart goes out to them. I cry for them because they, some of them, just don't get it. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And you guys hear me talk about that Joseph Project all the time. When I tell these guys, God has a purpose for all of us because I've been there. Right. And I had to learn the hard way that God had a purpose for me. If there had not, if, if the devil had taken me out that night, there wouldn't be a greater praise. There wouldn't be a Joseph Project. This stuff wouldn't happen. God had a purpose. So I couldn't go. The devil couldn't take me out like that. Right. I didn't have the power to do it to myself. Right. And I'm so grateful to God. And so I walked in here that Sunday morning, and I joined this church. And I've been here ever since. Ever since. God is good. God is good. Man. <laughs> and that's it's amazing, because you're talking about you're talking about a number of things. You're talking about redemption, the role that faith plays in redemption, um, forgiveness. Uh, you forgiving yourself, your wife forgiving you, and then moving forward. And, you know, it's so important that we think about these things, right? Like, humans make mistakes. We get on the wrong track. Um, sometimes that might involve criminal activity. Sometimes it might just be harming people that we love. But the question is, can you get back on track? And so much of what um, it seems like is happening in society today is that attempt to castigate people and permanently put them in boxes. So they are, you know, politically, socially, whatever, untouchable, and then we can just fight with each other forever. <laughs> your story. And it seems like that's what people want. It seems like, yeah, right. And what your story is, you know, you think about what you've now done, what you've paid forward to our larger community and the people that you've helped along with your wife. Um, without forgiveness, without redemption, without faith, none of that actually happens. It wouldn't be possible. Right. And I'll tell you, because of that walk into the church that day, my life has been changed forever. And so have others. Yeah. And that's yeah, right, exactly. Your life has been changed, but we wouldn't be here today uh, yeah. talking about this if you hadn't done that all those many years ago. It's important. So you and I have talked, a slight change of subject here. You and I have talked recently about goings on in Milwaukee and, and at the greater country. We had a good conversation with yourself, other clergy leaders in Milwaukee and Madison, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, as well as Mayor Barrett, as well as um, Cavalier. Yeah, Cavalier Johnson, the city council president. So we had a great conversation with everybody talking about um, community relationships between people living in Milwaukee and Madison and the police force in Milwaukee and Madison. I think it was a great conversation for a lot of reasons of which 
everyone pretty much said, we need to have better relationships with, with police officers in part so they can do their job better and so that people are not put into bad situations vis-a-vis -vis law enforcement. And there was a, a ton of respect in those conversations going all directions. And then we wanted um, Chief Morales to be able to join us. He wasn't in part because of everything that was happening in the city uh, at that moment. But as you think today or you look around the community, you know, how do you – how do you? How would you sum things up as to where things are at and people's heads are at at this moment? Ooh, Loaded question. You don't like me. <laughs> Ooh. Let me tell you something. Truthfully, I'm all for peaceful protests and things of that nature. I support the understanding and the meaning and the push behind Black Lives Matter movement. Not necessarily the organization. Right, those are two different things. But the movement. Right. Um, however, there are some issues, some things that I have a huge problem with. I don't think that we go to the chief of police's house and do the things that they say these guys did. I don't know if they did it or not. Yeah, but they're clear. Yeah, and just to give a bit of background, you're talking about Chief Morales' house. There's been um, kind of an ongoing protest right outside. Right outside, of, outside the man's house. Right. His wife and right. his family is in that house. Right. He's a he's a public official. Take it downtown to his job. That's where that belongs. Right. Not scaring the daylights out of his children or his grandchildren if they're there. Right. You know? Then I'm told that because an older woman spoke out against it, they went to her house. And which alderman was, I read that in the paper. Uh, Nakia died. Yes. Uh, right. I mean, for me, right. what's the difference? Isn't that a bully tactic? Yeah, 100%. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love our people. But there's a wrong and a right way to do anything. And because somebody disagree with you, you don't show up at their house and try to bully them. I don't think that's how you do that. Right. I think that's wrong. When it comes down to these officers, I said it then and I'll say it again. They need to make a change. Not all these officers are bad. We have some really great officers. I mean great ones. In fact, our local church here, our district church, every year have an officer appreciation day. Mm -hmm. We barbecue for them. Mm -hmm. And they come out and eat and we have a good time, fellowship. Right. Oh, at a district church, they have service. And they fellowship, they give them plaques because there's some great officers out there. Right. There's some bad seeds in a bunch. Let me be real. Let me be transparent. The Bible says everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall not enter therein. Therefore, there's some folks in the pulpit right. that ain't right. right. I was about to say, there isn't everything. Right? <laughs> yes. So are you going to ostracize everybody because of that? Right. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, where's the church? The church ain't doing nothing. The church been here all the time. Right. The church has been working all the time. The difference between what the church does and what some of these other guys do, kind of like Pastor Marty said at the press conference, we don't get publicized for it. Right. And that's fine. He said him that get blessed uh, in secret will be rewarded openly. I take my blessings however I can get them. Right. Amen? Right. Yes. We feed about 2,500 people every Thursday. Come out here and look. You can't get down Center Street on Thursday mm -hmm. because people are in lines in their cars to get groceries right? because our community need that. right? So rather than trying to find 
more and more ways to separate us. Why are we not finding more and more ways to bring us together? Right. You look at this brother, uh, Tremel, who was killed. Again, let's be transparent. I don't know if he was killed for political reasons. I don't know that. I really don't. But I do know that the man was preaching the gospel. He was teaching the gospel. I do know that he had a double-edged sword. He had one sign that on one side promoted Donald Trump, mm -hmm. our president, number 45. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, it promoted Lena Taylor for mayor, mm -hmm. our state senator. Mm -hmm. So wait a minute. One of them is a Democrat. Right. One of them is a Republican. Right. What does that say about this man? That says he's an issue-driven individual. He don't care about all the politics. What he care about is putting the right person in office. Right. Let's just call it what it was. Right. In his mind, that's what he believed. Right. These were the right people for office. So... If he was killed for that reason, that's a problem. Uh, well, well, and I think what you're saying is that truly is horrific because he was killed for political purposes. No matter what, no matter what, it's horrible that he was murdered. It's yet another loss of a life in our community, let alone someone who's been active. And I'll tell you, and tell I, you, I, oh, go ahead. People don't know this, but uh, there's another press conference coming soon. There's a ten thousand dollar reward out there for the arrest and conviction of the person who did this. And let me give just a bit of background on this. So this is, um, uh, he was he was basically a community activist, correct? Mm -hmm. And he preached, as you said, basically yep. had his own storefront that he preached in front of. He preached on the corners. On the corners? Yes, okay. all over the city. And well-known in the River West area of Milwaukee. Correct. And just a person about town. And one of the things that struck me as you read about him is everybody said that he was a positive, upbeat person. And so he was not out there screaming at people, yelling at them, making them uncomfortable or anything like it. Even people that disagreed with his politics, which like you said, is, mm -hmm. was incredibly varied, um, all said that he was a very positive individual and you could talk to him about things. So this is not an antagonistic person that made people uncomfortable or unhappy. He's actually known to be a positive person in a, in a part of the city that has its challenges. Is that fair? Well, Kevin, let me tell you something. The man had a Trump 2020 sign. Mm-hmm. I watched with my own eyes, heard with my own ears, a very prominent Democrat, a good friend of mine, Senator Lena Taylor, say, I love him. Do you know how powerful Says a lot. that is? That's incredibly powerful. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a man that can connect with people. Yes. Right? Who can override these, these political differences that are setting people at each other's throats at this moment in history, but yet still can connect with people. And that's yep. pretty amazing. And he was, he was murdered in broad daylight, correct? 1230 in the afternoon. That's Absolutely. Horrible. Yeah. Wow. So you had a, you had a press conference and I know that Pastor Marty was there. We actually talked uh, to him recently for the podcast as well too. Okay. And I'll share that episode with you when it comes out. Um, but you had a press conference in which you, uh, called out what had occurred in the community, said that this needs to be stopped and it needs to be solved, and you said you're going to have another press conference too uh, soon. Tell me about that. So we did the press conference last week, Tuesday. Okay. Last week, and we, we invited the public that if you were afraid to talk to the police, call the clergy. Wednesday morning, I received a phone call. Mm -hmm. um, the young lady said that they wanted to remain anonymous, but there was an individual who wanted to put up a $10,000 reward okay. 
for the arrest and conviction of the person responsible for the heinous murder of Brother Bernal Tremel. Mm-hmm. Now, what's kind of scary to me is I asked her to send me an email. Mm-hmm. That way I have it in writing. Mm-hmm. And she sent the email. The original email misquoted. She said in her original email, $20,000. But I knew it was supposed to be only 10000 Okay. I forwarded that email to a captain of the police of a, a district mm-hmm. and said, hey, this is what's going on. We need to get this out. He replied, I'm going to send this up to my bosses and let them work on this. Tell her thank you for her support. Nothing happened with it. Okay. Absolutely nothing. I was floored. I'm like, do you guys want to capture this dude or what? Right. You know? And then uh, I caught myself going away Friday in Madison for a little getaway. And uh, Brother Senate called me uh, from uh, the GOP. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, Pastor, I, I need a favor. I said, what's going on? Uh, Chairman Hick wants you to do a press conference for him. Mm-hmm. I said, pretending to what? He said, we got an anonymous donor who wants to put up $10,000 for, I said, really? I said, is your anonymous donor? And I gave him the name. Yeah. yeah. He was like, oh, you know about them? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I sent it to the police department. He said, well, we, we're going to validate the $10,000 when we want you to do a press conference. I said, I got no problem doing a press conference. Okay. Because I felt like the officers, the police department, and Crime Stoppers should have done this. Did you did you get an answer for from them? Never got a response. Okay. Never got a response. So okay. Don't know what happened with it, but I know we got to move forward. We got to capture this guy. Well, and as I say, that's the right. I mean, it's unfortunate that they didn't move on it, but this also too, the private sector has a role to play um, yeah. in. In encouraging people to do the right thing. This isn't vigilante justice. This is encouraging people to come forward with information and then help lead to uh, criminal conviction. And I think $10,000, I ain't being funny, but on the northeast side of town. Heck, anywhere. It's some songwriters going to come out, brother. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. It's, it's just, you, you just see the amount of lives that have been lost in... Uh, greater Milwaukee area over the years to violence. And this is, we're talking about one, one individual who was a key part of his community and played a big role. Um, but so many others, young people, uh, people who never even had a chance to get going in life. Uh, I think as I go around greater Wisconsin, here's the thing, right? Like uh, there's, there's like the political reality of like Milwaukee versus the rest of the Milwaukee, Madison versus the rest of the state. There's that dynamic of like, well, those are different places. That's the way it's kind of played out in, in politics in the press. But as I share stories around the state, um, as we travel around with No Better Friend or my campaign, about things that you're doing in the Joseph Project or the things that we're doing with school choice to encourage school choice programs or book bag giveaways that we just did last night. Um, we did one on the north side, one on the south side over the last two days. I will tell you that every single uh, face in the audience is smiling. People are happy. They, you might live in Superior or La Crosse or Eau Claire or Green Bay or wherever the heck, but you want Milwaukee to be successful. It's these moments of politics of pitting people against each other that can inflame opinions and make us feel different, right? And it has to stop. But when you really talk to people and say, look, here's, here is an example. Um, 
No Better Friend, Hispanics for School Choice, and another number of other uh, school choice groups got a thousand kids, mostly black and Hispanic, to the state capitol to celebrate their school choice programs. When I tell that story, people are thrilled because it's kids that you oftentimes hear about having bad uh, experiences in education, having great experiences, and then they take the initiative to go to the politicians and say, we're fighting for our future, be there with us. People love that. And that is that is the kind of stuff that we should be sharing with people, and that's what we should be doing more of, pushing back against this nonsense. And I, I agree with you. I think it can be hard for people who do not grow up in communities that are faced with the essential challenge of violence. Like, we can talk about everything else, economics, we can talk about education. I think it's all tied together for sure. But when a child wakes up and goes outside and faces some type of ever-present, very real violent threat, it changes your mindset, changes your relationship to your community. It changes your prioritization of what you're worried about, what you're dreaming of, what you're thinking about. And it can just put you on a different trajectory. And if you've not experienced that, it can be very difficult for people to understand, okay, at the baseline, we have to provide communities that are safe. Because if we don't, kids' priorities are going to be, as you would expect, about survival. Right. And not being able to focus on the things that put them on a whole other path of success. And again, I believe strongly in school choice because I think it can help to create little pockets of safety. But what you're talking about is generally throughout the community, if this challenge exists, there's this ever-present threat of violence, and I don't mean to overplay it, but it's in the back of people's minds. It, um, it does change the mindset, and that gets back to this core, to bring it a bit full circle, we talk about the relationship with uh, law enforcement and police, like how do we get to a point where police are not continually in antagonistic relationships, relationships with people because there is less violence, there is less crime, and therefore people are going about their lives and not having negative interactions because there's no need to have them in the first place. And that should be our ultimate goal, uh, not just getting point-specific. And, and I'm all for it, right? Accountability in law enforcement, mm -hmm. you and I have talked about it 100%. I'm all for it. But we need to think broader. And yeah. for all the people that want to do something right now, then let's look at these core issues, whether it's education, finding ways to... Uh, encourage economic development, take this holistic approach to actually just baseline reduce violence, increase safety, and make a better environment for kids to grow up in. I think, I think you're 100% accurate. I think it's, it's, it's more to it than policing the police. Right. We need to be able to police ourselves as a community. I think that uh, party issue is our economic situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you look at the drugs and the violence, a lot of it stems from, you got it, I need it, I'm going to take it. You know, whereas we, when you think about things like the Joseph Project, mm -hmm. when we created that, our hope and our dream was to eliminate or lower or lessen the crime in the community. Right. And uh, we've been somewhat successful. And then all of a sudden, when the pandemic shut everybody in, mm -hmm. It seemed like this thing went haywire. If you go back right. and you look at 17, 18, 19, you see a decline. And then all of a sudden in 20, it Spike. exploded again. Right. You know? And, 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 and it's scary. And then what happened? If you also look at 20, what happened? The economics dropped. Right. In 20, unemployment skyrocketed again. So 
there's a direct correlation in my mind right. between unemployment, crime, right. unemployment, murder. There's, that, there's, there's a direct correlation. And right. I think that if we can find ways to reach the people, put them in position to get the jobs, and make them believe that they qualify for the jobs. Mm-hmm. Because I use the story of, of, of Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000 women besides men and children with two fish and five loaves. Mm-hmm. Let's, be, let's be real. When they were done, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of fragments, which means he multiplied that mm-hmm. thing. And it worked. Mm-hmm. But the biggest miracle to me was where the two fish and the five loaves came from. They came from a little boy. What was his name? The Bible never identifies his name. It says the little boy. Why is that important to know that? Because his name wasn't important. The name Pastor Jerome Smith Sr. is not important. What's important is the plan and the purpose that God has for my life. And just like he has a plan and purpose for Jerome, he got a plan and purpose for Kevin and every other person out here on earth. And until we all begin to walk into our calling, mm-hmm. walk into the plan that God has for us, this ain't going to never change. Right. So when you put it all together, you're going to need employment, right? But you're going to need that faith component as well. And, uh, and really you're talking to what I was going to ask you about, which is the Joseph Project, that combination of recognition that, employment, which leads to economic growth, wealth creation is absolutely critical to just building a, a, a healthy society. And then also to infusing that search for employment with faith and an understanding of the way the world works. That is so much of what I see in the Joseph Project. Talk to me a bit about the inception of it and what the Joseph Project is today. So Joseph Project started by fall of 2015, the last quarter of 2015. Um, its uh, roots probably began uh, the latter part of 2014. Okay. Orlando was working for the Republican That's Party. Orlando Owens. Orlando Owens. Yep. He's working for the Republican Party of Wisconsin. And at the time, he his uncle was a good friend of mine. He still is a good friend of mine. And his uncle asked me, you know, would I meet with his nephew? And right off the bat, I was like, man, that's your family. I'd love to meet him. And he's like, he's a Republican. I was like, whoop. He's a what? He's like, he's a Republican. I said, man, I don't need to meet with that dude. What I need to meet with him for? I was always taught, you vote straight party, Democrat, right? Right. right. And so uh, he talked me into meeting with Orlando. So I met with him. Orlando seemed like a pretty good guy. Mm-hmm. When I first met him, he seemed, to me, he actually seemed a little naive when I first met him. And I'll be real with you. I'm like, man, these white folks finna use him to get black folks for voting and they're going to spit him out, right? That was my that was my outlook of him, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> I said, this is, this is a token black point. <laughs> and so we started meeting, and, and uh, first it was him, myself, and his uncle. He said, man, can you get some other pastors to meet with us? And we agreed. So I got about five or six pastors together, and we started meeting. And uh, we kept trying to figure out how do we combat the crime in our community. Mm-hmm. And we came up with this idea, if we could create a training program where we can help these people get a job. At the time, his uncle owned uh, uh, a heating and cooling HVAC company. Okay. We were like, well, we can start there and get them trained to do HVAC, you know, and that was our thought process. Um, one day in the midst of one of our meetings, the spirit spoke to me and said, he finna lose that job. Y'all need to pray for him. I said, can we pray for you? So we prayed for him, mm-hmm. and a few weeks later, we just, stop meeting mm-hmm. um, the party pu- promised some stuff that they couldn't 
or wouldn't deliver it. Mm-hmm. Then they gave us some backpacks for the kids, but they wanted them to have elephants on them. And I was like, <laughs> you can get some kids killed, man. <laughs> so, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, I told the kids, tell the people they dumb boat, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Creative positioning on your part. You got to do something, man. We're going to help the kids. And so uh, all of a sudden I get a phone call. He said, hey, man, uh, my nephew working for the senator. So I was like, who, Senator Baldwin? Mm -hmm. He was like, no, Senator Johnson. I said, who's Senator Johnson? (laughs) Ron Johnson. I said, we don't have no senator named Ron. Yeah, we do. He said, he want to talk to you. So I said, he can call me. So a couple weeks go by, he didn't call me. Then all of a sudden, I'm on the road. I get a phone call from Orlando. He said, Pastor Smith, how you doing? I'm great. He said, man, I got a situation. I said, what situation? He said, man, I'm down here in Sheboygan. and I'm meeting with these people, and uh, they say they got about 4,000 job openings, but they don't have enough people living in their area to fill the positions. Do you think that's something we can do something with? I looked at my phone, and I said, but this dude said I mean, yeah, we can do something with that. We got a bunch of folks in Milwaukee who need jobs. Right. Never crossed my mind, Sheboygan. Never crossed my mind an hour away. He said, can we meet with the people from Sheboygan? I was like, when? He was like, tomorrow. I'm like, well, I'm out of town. I said, but I'll tell you what, I'll have my wife open up the door and bring in some folks, you know, and they'll meet. So about five, six pastors again showed up. My wife opened the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dane Chekaleski from Sheboygan Economic Development Corporation showed up, talked to them about what was going on. By the time they left, my phone just blew up. Mm-hmm. Pastor, you got to look into this deeper. This looks like something real. Okay. So I get back home. I said, Orlando, we need to go. I need to go out to Sheboygan. I, I want to take a tour. So they set up a tour for me to go to Sheboygan. I took a few pastors with me. We went to Volrath, we went to Kohler, we yep. went to um, Rockline, mm-hmm. and looked at these companies. Interestingly enough, I didn't see very many people that looked like me. <laughs> so my first instinct was like, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> this ain't gonna work, this is gonna be a problem. We're on a shuttle and we're, we're coming back on the church van. We had Old Faithful, Miss Bertha, <laughs> 15 passenger that was on our last leg anyway. Right. <laughs> and while we're on the van coming back, we, uh, we decide we're gonna try this. And Pastor Raymond Davis made a statement. He said, What are we gonna do about transportation? Maybe we can uh contract with somebody. And when he said it, my mind's like, uh oh, no, 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 shut him up. I text him, I said, Hey man, be quiet. This is how we're gonna keep the church involved. Right. With our vans. I seen him look at his text. He looked in the mirror because he was driving. Yeah. He looked in the mirror, he was like. <laughs> so we get back, which, and uh, Scott Bostead comes in, and he, he comes up with this curriculum. Scott Bostead works for Senator Johnson. He does. Right? Yeah, he works for yeah. Senator Johnson. He's the right. Orlando direct supervisor. Right. He comes up with this this uh, curriculum, and uh, in the midst of this curriculum, he said, man, there ain't nothing special. I just found it. Mm-hmm. We have a date. And uh, on the first day, we feel like Buzzy Sigel waiting on Las Vegas to take off. <laughs> We're sitting in the church, and all of a sudden, 16 people walk in the door. 14 men and two women. <laughs> it's like, wow. 
well, let's get to it. <laughs> so we take them down. We put them through the course the first and day. And this is in the church. Right here in the church. still running. Yep. Right? Kohler walks in the door. Hmm. Something miraculously happened. We did not plan it that way. It just organically happened. Hmm. The people interviewed Kohler. Hmm. Never happened before. Mm -hmm. They interviewed Kohler. Kohler came back on Friday and interviewed them. Okay. By the time Kohler came back, there was only 14 people still standing. Sure. Kohler made 14 offers that day. Okay. 14 offers. They went out. They took the physicals. They took the drug test. Mm -hmm. 13 passed the drug test. One failed. Okay. That's a pretty good success rate. If you were to go to many employers uh, of 14 applicants and say that, yes, 13 passes through. 13? Yes. So those 13 got it, got the job. Okay. Uh, their first day at work was October 26, 2015. Ironically, that same day is the day the name for the Joseph Project was created. Renee Riddle, who's one of the comms people mm -hmm. for Senator Johnson, uh, we were all in a meeting out in Oshkosh at Senator Johnson's office. Mm -hmm. We're like, we got to come up with a name for this. I just called it the Milwaukee Initiative. You know? Right, right. <laughs> so we got to come up with a name for this. And the senator was reading a book at the time, and he was passing it out to everybody called The Triumphs of Joseph okay. by Robert Woodson. And uh, this book talks about how the, the, the Josephs of today are not these big conglomerates. Mm -hmm. It's the small mom pops, mm -hmm. the church pastors, the, the barbers, and stuff like that. Uh, these are the guys that has a true success rate with the community. Right. And she said, why don't we name it the Joseph Project? And we're all sitting there like, that sounds pretty good. Right. So we agreed it would be called the Joseph Project. So his date, his born date is October 26th. Okay. Got his date, his name. <laughs> uh, we had another class in November. Uh, between the October 26th and November class, I get a text message. I'm going out for dinner. Mm-hmm. I had never met Senator Johnson. Senator Johnson had never uh, dealt with the Joseph Project. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how much of it he knew. But I got a text. Stand by for a phone call. Okay. I'm like, who's finna call me? President <laughs> of the United States? Who does this? Stand by for a phone call. <laughs> so my phone rings, a 920 number. Mm -hmm. I ask her. It's a white voice on the other line. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, Scott. <laughs> Don't know a whole lot of white folks like that, right? <laughs> Say, hey, Scott. He's like, um, excuse me? I'm like, oh, that's not Scott. He's like, this is Senator Ron Johnson. I was like, oh, how are you, sir? <laughs> and him and I had a very candid conversation. He, and he's sniffling. And I learned later that he, he was teared up. Him and his wife, Jane, was, Miss Jane, they were teared up uh, because they were watching a video from class one. Okay. And he said to me, he said, Pastor Smith, he said, this is just the right thing to do. Right. He said, I'll tell you what, as long as you stay with this program, I will stand behind you. Hmm. He said, I'll support you in any way needed, whether that's finances, whether that's housing, mm -hmm. whether that's transportation, I, I, I will support you. <laughs> yes, my phone records. I'm gonna hold him to this. And I hung up and I said to myself, this man's just talking. So we made it through uh November. I tested the water. I said, Why don't y'all bring Senator Johnson to the church on November fourth? Mm -hmm. Let's see if he gonna come. 
Santa showed up. The place was packed. If you look at the side of the vans, it's a picture of that first oh, service. That's what the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he spoke, and the people were motivated. And that day I began to learn who Ron Johnson was. Not Senator Johnson, mm -hmm. but Ron Johnson. I got to learn who he was. Right. And that began my outlook, my, my renewed outlook on politicians right. to learn to see who they are for who they are, not for who they stand for. Right. You know what I mean? Or a label attached. Or, to it, exactly. Right? Right. And so it just blew up. And then before you knew it, it kept snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. Mm -hmm. And people started coming in and was like, well, we're not going to take any government funding. And people started supporting financially, mm -hmm. and I had never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. Never. This thing just got crazy. Then it was Sheboygan. Right. Then it was Sheboygan Falls. Then it was Plymouth. Mm -hmm. uh, then it was New Berlin. Mm -hmm. Then it was Waukesha. Mm -hmm. Then it was Oconomowoc. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, we're in Hartford. We're in Heartland. We're in Huracan. <laughs> like, we're all over the state. <laughs> And the vans just kept coming and coming and coming, and the people kept coming. As of right now, we're at 498 people have started working jobs. That's outstanding. That's ridiculous. It's outstanding. Next month, we will do 500 with no problem. Okay. Right? Right. And I'm loving that because, you know, next month is, is a big event happening in Milwaukee <laughs> next month. So I'm going to be excited to pull some of that media attention. Right. You're talking about the Democratic National <laughs> Convention where they'll be in town to celebrate their Democrat policies. Yes. And you want to talk to them about reality. I was like, like, let's talk about some stuff we need to be talking right. about, right? right. You know? So I'm excited about that. And, and Joseph Project is spinning off. And, and, and we got some weaknesses. People talk about, well, Joseph Project ain't all. Well, we're we, we just like anybody else. We got weaknesses. Sure. But the difference is we're building on our weaknesses, right? We know that in most cases, if a person have a GED or high school diploma, they got a chance of getting a higher pay. Right. We also know that if you can pass a drug test that's six months, a hair follicle, you got a chance of getting a higher pay. Right. So what do we do? We bought the building across the street. We're putting put a GED lab in there so they can get their GED. Right. We're putting a drug lab, health community health center in there so people can be tested up front and we can make sure they're clean so they can get themselves to that higher level. And we're on what? We're on 54th and Center? 54th and Center. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, it ain't paid for it. They told me it's going to cost $1.2 million to finish building it. Mm -hmm. And I told myself, I'm not borrowing no money. We're going to do this, take our time, slowly but surely, and we're going to get this done. Right. And God be the glory. It's coming along. Amen. <laughs> well, I think what so many people love about the Joseph, the Joseph Project and everything you've done is that it is tactical and it is real. It is, um, you know, you're you know my political story. I was a Democrat when I was a kid. I'm a conservative today, and part of it is, and, and I know you have great relationships with people in all different political parties, right? Mm -hmm. But what you're doing, and what I think, what I hope that other elected officials and politicians are learning from. Is that you're not starting pie in the sky. Let's let's have a an enormous program that may work and may not. We'll just throw some money at and see what happens. It's yes, ground up and it's very tactical. And what you're teaching people is here are the steps you need to go to. 
to, to find good employment, mm -hmm. and then you can build on that. Maybe this is not the job you want to do the rest of your life. That's okay. That's but a stone. it's a stepping stone and it's a start. Or maybe it is the job you want to do. That's okay too. Mm -hmm. But the reality is here are the steps you need to go through to become successful in life. And it's very tactical. And it's the kind of lessons that you would hope would be coming from all different corners of community of every community, but it's not. And certainly not the message that hits people from mainstream media. Uh, not enough people, frankly, are sitting in pews in churches to hear Correct. this right from from faith leaders. And not enough politicians are willing to say the reality of the situation, which is blocking and tackling. Stay clean. Don't make bad decisions with chemicals in your body. Uh, show up on time. Get your education. Get the GED done. Graduate high school. Then you can move forward in life. For some people, that might mean a four-year degree. Others, it won't. That's Absolutely. okay. But that blocking and tackling still needs to occur, and whatever it is, whatever path you choose to take, you need to do it well. And if you do that well in America, you tend to be successful in life. I do. And it's, that is the beauty of the Joseph Project. It is on the ground. It's real. You're talking about 500 lives affected. And there are, to your point, the detractors will say, well, it's not 3 million people. Well, this is the way things really work. 500 people in a community the size of Milwaukee is actually extremely sizable, and they have an, an exponential impact Absolutely. on their families and their neighbors. And that's where I think people miss this when they think there's going to be a government program that's going to solve everything. It's, no, actually, you change 500 lives in a city the size of Milwaukee, which is roughly, I think, 600,000 people. Yeah. It is huge. It has a block-by-block-by-block block block effect of people saying, look, this is how I got my life on track. You can do it, too. And I'll tell you, for me, uh, a lot of people accuse us of taking people from Milwaukee and moving them to other areas. That's really not my goal. That's not my intentions. Sure. My intentions is to take people from the block, send them out there to get a great paying job, bring them back to the block to be an example to the rest of the block so that my kids, your kids, the other kids can see I ain't got to be like Joey and them standing on the corner with my pants sagging. Right. I can be like Tom, right? And I can have a nice car. My yard can look good. Right. My house can be sharp. My kids can have the best of the best. Right. And, and that's, that's what I want. Other benefit of what you're doing, and you are talking about people from, from the Milwaukee area, working with people that live elsewhere in the state, it is natural and real integration of people. And I think... That is one of the things that, I mean, look, I experienced this um, uh, in the Marine Corps. People from every walk of life working together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sometimes there's friction and tension. And there is an overriding culture that says that really doesn't matter. You are all Marines and you will work together. And that's the way it is. And <laughs> we force that in a way that, that forms camaraderie and brotherhood. It's not saying it's perfect, but it's pretty darn good. Um, and what you're talking about is what we've seen, I think, this is my opinion throughout history, is when people work together, because they happen to be the same employer, good things do tend to happen over time. Doesn't mean it's perfect, doesn't mean that there's not tension at times, but it does mean that is how people actually learn about each other and learn that someone that grew up in a different city looks different from them, also likes the same food and likes to hang out on Sundays and fish, right? Like, and life sometimes really is that simple. <laughs> we want, we get all these messages of, you know, how different we are, and we were just talking about this earlier, but. Um, when people actually work together, it really does break down a lot of those barriers quickly, and that's another tactical part of the Joseph Project. Yeah, some people may choose to relocate out of Milwaukee. That's personal choice, and it's fine. 
but people working together really does change others' view of each other. Absolutely. And we believe that when, you, when, we, when we help you get into the job, some things, like you say, are going to happen organically. Right. So right. you're going to start building relationships with that person that's been there 10 years, that's been there five years. And you're going to learn, just like I said about the block, you're going to learn that you don't have to live life the way you've been living. Right. Because here's, some, here's an example right here before you. Now you build relationships and friendships with a whole different group of people. Exactly. Now you've changed your playmates and, as we say in JP, even your playground. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, let's face it, when I was younger, I worked for the International House of Pancakes. 3232 South 27th Street, 384-9227. Okay. <laughs> I remember it like, like the back of my hand, right? Is it still there? It's not there. It's, it's now Chipotle. Okay. Uh, and uh, But what was interesting was I went to work every day, sometimes six days a week. Mm-hmm. But I built relationships with those people in that restaurant. Right. That really became a good portion of my life. Right. So what happened when I began to go out, guess where I went out at? South 27th Street. Yep. I hung out at the bowling alley right there on 20, 28th Street over there off of Oklahoma. You probably stopped at Leon's a few times. Uh, quite a few times. <laughs> Me and the chili cheese dog had it going on, right? <laughs> Wasn't so happy about the ice cream, but the chili yeah, cheese yeah. dog was, I loved it at that time. It was the best at that time. Right, right. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, I loved the Leon's, man. And so we had a good time. Southgate Mall, before it became what it is mm-hmm. now. I was in there. I spent a lot of money in there. Right. Because... That's where my new playground was. Right, and that's how people work. We're all we're all like that. And if you you can have preconceptions and misconceptions and all the rest, but like just simple interaction on a day to day basis changes things. And um, you know, political movements have tried to force this at times, and people have resisted it. But it turns out that the thing that you're doing, which is get people into employment, let people work alongside each other, and guess what? A lot of those misconceptions just go away. People figure stuff out. And at the same time, you're you're bettering people's economic circumstances. Again, to pull this full circle, which absolutely, in every study realistically shown, plus just common sense, helps to reduce violence overall, helps to create a better, more healthy community, and gets people um, more stability in their life, which helps family life. Like, absolutely. it's a virtuous circle. And... I think my frustration is I've seen politics, and again, it's it's not my goal to, to cascade just one group of politicians, but it's just this non-recognition of this simple blocking and tackling. Like, this is what has to be right. You have to get down to the nitty-gritty. Not everything's going to be a big program. And the more that you can encourage people to just do the right thing, the more things organically will get better for, for huge amounts of people over time. You've given us kind of the broad overview of the Joseph Project and how it works. Tell us some of your favorite stories of success and you may not want to share names that I totally understand but like just some stories of people who've really seen their life take off we, we've had some 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 really interesting things one of the guys from class one an older gentleman um, who went out to Kohler uh, shortly after we got into Kohler they went on strike so naturally our people were pretty much pushed out mm-hmm. you know but some of them decided that they were going to stay the course and stay you know Keep, keep holding on. One of the guys, I think he was about 60-something years old at the time, 50-something, 60-something years old at the time, uh, he called me one day. He was riding a shuttle. Called me one day out of the blue. He said, Pastor Smith, man, I want to tell you I appreciate you, man. I thank you for all you've done, but uh, I won't be needing your services anymore. 
what you talking about, man? He said, man, I just left the car lot. I bought me a brand new car. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, man, I ain't never had a new car in my life. I said, stop it. I don't have four. And I'm like <laughs> half your age, man. <laughs> so he's like, he never had. So that blew me away. Uh, and we've had some 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 really interesting experience. There was there was a time when I, I learned that all police acronyms don't don't mean the same. Mm-hmm. Um, one day I was sitting in here. Orlando and I was here. Orlando Owens and I was here. And I got a phone call. It was a, a deputy sheriff deputy. Mm-hmm. He said, "Hey, is this Pastor Smith?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, I got one of your people." over here on the road and uh, she's got some tickets and we're charging her with DWI my blood pressure went through the roof mm-hmm. I'm driving while intoxicated she's supposed to be going to work mm-hmm. and this is Sheboygan and she said he says uh, uh, well we're going to hold her uh, I said well listen she's got to go to work you guys know me man just let her go I'll come pay the ticket mm-hmm. He was like, no, Pastor Smith, see, we know you. We don't know her. She going to be with us until you show up pay for the ticket, right? Hello, I say, leave her there. <laughs> leave her there. We're thinking DWI. Right. What is she thinking? She going to work intoxicated? Right. So we get down to the police station, <laughs> and we discover that for them, DWI means driving without insurance. Oh, well, that's kind of cliche. I feel like that's one that requires more clarity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I'm like, and I'm looking at another one because he's with me. I'm like, we finna leave her here for <laughs> So we get it. That girl, she was like, Pastor, thank you so much. Thank you so much. She said, nobody has ever cared enough about me that when I got in trouble to come get me. No one ever. And... She said it to me then, and we had a golf outing, and, and they brought her in to uh, speak. They brought the young lady in to speak, and the young lady told the story during the golf outing, and she just broke down in tears, and it just did something to me. It's like, wow. And what it showed me was the Joseph Project is really bigger mm-hmm. than helping somebody get a job. Mm-hmm. The Joseph Project right. is a family. When you become a part of the Joseph Project, you become a part of our family. And there's no man, no woman left behind. We've had situations where people have gotten caught up in the system with child support, just got their jobs, starting to pay child support, Mm -hmm. and they still got locked up. They call and say, man, we've been locked up for child support. Drive all the way to Racine. $1,500 Fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. We, we we paid the bill to get that fella out and get him back to work. Right. And that fella hasn't looked back. People really want to work. Right. They want to change. They want something different in their life. And that's what the Joseph Project is offering. They're offering a change. It's bigger than the money. Right. It's the ability and the opportunity to have something new to have something that they never thought they could obtain. That's what the Joseph Project does. And you're also offering people some some themes that we've been talking about throughout today, which is redemption, forgiveness, right? You are 
you are there for people. That young lady that you just talked about, um, uh, presence of family, right? Yeah. That that somebody who is going to be there understands that at times you will fall, you will make mistakes, but yet at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we love you and we're human and we want you to be successful. And yeah. that really does change. It gets back again to some things we're talking about, but it really changes a perspective and a mindset. Um, and can change someone who's got a completely negative outlook of the world. It's me versus the world. I have to do what I have to do to, there are people out there that love me and care about me and I should be invested in other people too. Absolutely. And I mean, we, we try to touch them from the, the time, they on interview from the time they call mm-hmm. or reach out to us and ask us about orientation to the time they get through class. We put them through some vigorous classes. We put them through some hardcore stuff, literally, uh, 12 to 15 hours, mm-hmm. three days, uh, three hours a day, four to five days a week, right? We give them spiritual fitness. Mm-hmm. We give them conflict resolution. We give them interview skills, one and two, mock interviews. Mm-hmm. We give them communication skills. We give them goal setting. I mean, that's just a few right. of the workshops we put together for these guys. And each piece, teamwork. And we, our goal is to teach them that you're about to become a part of a brand new team. Right. And you have value in the team. And everything you do affects your team. Right. You know, it's, to me it's amazing. And it's, again, these are the skills you're talking about and just that awareness. That's exactly what employers want. And, and you can pick the business from finance to retail to everything in between. Yes, those are all different, very different jobs. But that sense of you're part of a team, you have to be present, you have to be invested in it, you have to be looking out for your colleagues, and they will look out for you in turn. That kind of mindset of I'm going to get it done, I'm going to be there for my team. If you have that, any amount of small mistakes, can you we can get past out. that, right? Yes, we'll find a way. Most employers tell me, Pastor Smith, it's not the resume that we worry about. We want a great attitude. Yeah, absolutely. We want somebody who's willing to be here every day on time. Right. And to put in 100%. That's what we want. Right. When it comes down to the skill set, we'll teach them to do what we want them to do. You know? Right. What more can you ask for? It's that. And, and again, it can, to get to that tactical level, you are connecting these people, these employers, and these potential employees in a way that um, I think without the Joseph Project simply wouldn't be occurring on the scale that it should be. Um, talk, so well, these skills, too, that you're talking about, uh, one of the frustrations I know I feel is that kids in school don't get enough of an introduction to this. I mean, I think current moment in terms of what we're seeing is just shining a big light uh, and what I'm saying, like just politically in general, and people's feelings towards the country and the kind of the vacillation of attitudes is shining a big light on schools and many of their deficiencies and what they're not teaching. I won't go into all that right now, but I do think, um, and you can, you can look at Milwaukee Tech as like the, tra- the classic trade school that exists in Milwaukee for many years. The goal was to get people into the trades. Mm-hmm. That's changed over the years and like exactly how targeted that is. But I really do think that schools should have more of a practical uh, element to them that say, okay, for the next step of your life, it can be college, it can be right into a job, here are core skills that you will need, some technical, so yeah, exactly. Some just what you're talking about, which is 
emphasis on teamwork, the blocking and tackling, showing up on time, these things that will get you to the next step of life. Um, and this is just my asking question. Is there a role for the Joseph Project type element in schools in Milwaukee? Great question. Scary question, but a great question. <laughs> so Sheboygan EDC partnered with one of our local high schools. And um, they brought us in to join partnership with them. Uh, the problem was, I believe it can be done. It's got to be done the right way. Right. Um, it's got to be done with true, uh, how can I say this? True solid intentions. Mm -hmm. Not for some personal gain or, uh, you know, some brownie points. Political show. Or, exactly. Yes, right, right. A dog and pony show, right. you know. It, it, it's got to be because... We, we, we want to develop a particular class for this particular group. Right. Uh, and so what I tried to do with that was I tried to get MPS to agree to send them to JP for a week okay. to learn these skills. So you um, reached out to the district? To, yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't go to the district. I went to this particular school that we okay. were dealing with. Okay. And um, they pushed back because we were a religious institution. Okay. So you're gonna tell me, because we serve God, you're gonna say, these kids shouldn't come in here. <laughs> when it could change their the life. dynamics of the rest of their life. Right, right. They gotta have the right intentions. My goal for these kids coming in here is not to indoctrinate them <laughs> on the Holy Ghost <laughs> or indoctrinate them on, even on God, right? We don't push religion on people when they come to the Joseph Project. Hmm. One thing we're going to do, we're going to pray. Hmm. We're going to talk about Jesus. And that we're going to do. Mm -hmm. But if you walk out of here and decide you don't ever want to walk back into this church afterwards, that's your choice. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. We don't have a problem with that. But to not let these kids come because it's a church, you're doing them a disservice absolutely and what you're also doing is you're tying the hands of the church as it relates to what you keep accusing us of mm -hmm. so we're not doing nothing that there was a time when the church was a social service there was a time right. when the church was who the community went to we're trying to be that but you won't let us right <laughs> and it's it's in my view completely intentional um and again you hear this kind of creeping uh, aggression coming in, again this is my view from the far left in which they're talking about removing tax exemptions from churches it's a constant threat and that's the best threat they can offer at this point in the moment but but what you're talking about is more I think insidious in that they're saying they're trying to cut the church off from all elements of society and say that's a separate thing mm -hmm. but if you go back to certainly this country's founding the church was involved in everything our founders would look at the current view of the separation of church and state and not understand it because that was not their intent. Their intent is that the government should not establish a state religion mm -hmm. uh, as has occurred elsewhere in the, in, in the, um, the world, which ultimately results in governments, in many cases, perverting churches and owning them and structuring them the way they, the way they want. They wanted freedom to establish your own uh, relationship with God and your own church, and the government was not to impede upon that. That does not preclude people from uh, schools forming uh, voluntary relationships with churches that are involved in their community to the benefit of students. That was never the intent of, um, 
of the way that our government is structured. And that, I think, is something we have to take forward because, again, if you look at, like, as the church, as church tenants and relationships have uh, declined, again, you see this uptick in violence and problems in our community. We should be honest about that. When I was a kid, my after-school program was in the local Catholic church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as it was for so many, correct? Right? And it's... And, and people need to be honest about that as we have pulled that back and we have we have harmed ourselves. Again, it's yet another network that was there for people uh, when they needed help. That was a support structure. That was an f- extended family. And as we've seen these things recede, it's not been pretty. I mean, yes, we're talking about violence today, but yet just a sense of isolation that we've seen uh, crop up and that separates people from each other. So many people have stepped away from the church and adopted politics as their religion. And let me tell you, the Joseph Project is not the end-all, be-all to everything. And we don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some people who erred, mm-hmm. uh, which many people know. And, then, you know, they try to rub that in our face, and that's okay. That's okay. Again, these individuals are human. They're human. They're going right. to make some mistakes. Right. And no matter how much you lead them to the water, you can't always make them all drink. No, you and cannot. everybody is not going to stay the course. Right. You know, we've had a couple that, re, that what do you call it, recidivize and right. end up going back to jail. Right. Uh, not very many. Right. But we've had a couple. And for me, a couple is too many. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you're striving to help everybody. Because we're striving. Right. And, and, and so, but I, I do want to make sure that that's on the record that we're not perfect. Right. We're far from perfect. And we're not claiming to be perfect, and we're not even trying to be perfect. But we're trying to help people make a difference. Absolutely. And I, I yes, as we look at the challenges, again, we, in this political moment, as we hear people saying, I want to help, I don't know what to do. I mean, certainly I hear that from colleagues and peers and, and just kind of a desperate, like, what do I do? Well, here, again, something tactical, real. And I think what you're doing in the greater community is wonderful. As I look at the challenges of many kids in Milwaukee, the more that the Joseph Project or something extremely similar to it can exist uh, in and around schools, the better. And there is no doubt that would benefit Milwaukee. And Milwaukeeans of all backgrounds, it doesn't make a difference what you look like. That would be 100% true. And our civic and, and public leaders need to, I think, just become more pragmatic to realize that the government never has been able to do it all. It's not going to be able to do it all in the future either. Um, faith leaders and those that are willing to, and, and all, not willing to, have been for so many years, stepping up and trying to help the community should be your partner. Ironically, the Bible says something interesting. It came to my mind when you said this about the government. The Bible says a house divided against itself <laughs> can't stand right right <laughs> Abe Lincoln was fond of that one <laughs> and it's true it's true and I, I I mean you and I say that and we say it from the position of and we should all know this and we should therefore not stand against each other mm-hmm. unfortunately those who wish to undermine us also know it they know it they know it and they exacerbate it every bit that they can so as people come into the Joseph Project uh, from the greater Milwaukee area, what are, what are some of the specific challenges you see that they face in order to get employment, whether in manufacturing or other sectors? Like what are the obstacles that they're facing that you're helping them to overcome? When you talk about obstacles, uh, there was a time uh, in Milwaukee where a lot of the major manufacturers were right here in town. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, we're talking a good manufacturer being about 
30 minutes away right. to an hour and 15 minutes away. Right. So that creates a barrier of transportation, travel. Uh, that's one of the biggest barriers that we help overcome. Uh, we provide the transportation for these guys to get to and from work. We take them there every morning. We run about 11 shuttles a day. Uh, we run a total of about 23 hours a day. Um, we spend about literally 60-some thousand miles a month okay. in transport. Um, for us to put a couple hundred thousand miles on a van in a year, from brand new to 200,000 <laughs> a year, is nothing. Nothing, right? right? And so that's one of the biggest obstacles that we overcome is that. One of our second biggest obstacles is now you're dealing with people. Mm -hmm. And dealing with people, people come with uh, baggage. Mm -hmm. People come with uh, background, criminal backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them have felonies in their past. Some of them have some really stringent misdemeanors in their mm -hmm. past. And they believe that because they have these felonies or because they have these misdemeanors that they just don't qualify to go anywhere. Right. And so one of the obstacles that the Joseph Project removes is we require our employers to see past that. Mm -hmm. And we help them see past that. Mm -hmm. We do our own vetting and we do uh, ongoing support. So for example, if somebody takes a person from the Joseph Project and there's some kind of issue going on. Mm -hmm. My phone is always available. Right. Sometimes I get calls at 2 a.m. saying, I need you to come to the plant. I'll get up and get a driver mm -hmm. because I don't drive anymore. I'm blind. Right. But I get a driver and I go to the plant and I deal with the situation. Right. You know what I'm saying? You help to lower the risk for everybody involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that matters a lot to employers. So you're, you're, you're tackling transportation issues. You're tackling the inherent risks that all players have in terms of people getting through testing processes, the initial screening, and then you're providing a network when problems may hit down the road too, that Absolutely. they can come back to you and still know that there's a chance, well not a chance, that you're going to be there, and there's a chance that you can help to solve the problem. Absolutely. And so now we, 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 we introduce this new way of doing Huber. Uh, so uh, the Huber program allows people who are incarcerated mm -hmm. to come out and go to work. Well, most of those jobs are minimum wage-based jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, we get these guys these jobs at $14, 15 $18 an hour mm -hmm. while you're incarcerated. So while they're sitting in jail, we drive out to the local jail. Okay. We pick them up. We take them to work. We bring them right back to the jailhouse. Okay. Right? Now the next obstacle that we're facing is as they come to the point where they're getting ready to be released, mm -hmm. is we find that they're running into housing uh, barriers. Right. And so we've recently acquired property to try to help offset that housing. I'm meeting, in fact, this afternoon, I'm going out to a meeting with HOC okay. to interview a couple guys for potential finding them someplace to stay. Uh, we worked with Mama Delta in one case where she would take them and so now we're creating a rooming scenario uh, where we can take them ourselves and so that they got somewhere to go. Because right. what we learned is that when some of these guys get released, they've got nowhere to go. Right. So what they do is they recentivize so that they can go back so they got somewhere to lay their head. Right. That's not a way to live. 
No, it's not. And so what we asked HOC was, when you bring them to us, make sure they have three, that it sounds, they sound mean, but I want them to have three to six months remaining on their sentence. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I want them to have the three to six months remaining on their sentence, it gives them an opportunity to store up some capital. Right. Right? Right. So that when they do come out, they're in a better position than those guys before them. Everything we do in the Joseph Project, watch this now, is about the guy that's coming. Yep. It's never about us. It's never about this particular class. We're getting ready for class 92. 92 is not about 92. Mm -hmm. 92 is actually about 93. Right. Because if 92 fail, there won't be a 93. Right. You see what I right. mean? So it's all about going forward. So from the transportation, we have to make sure we got the best drivers. We have to make sure on, on our vans, we don't allow hip-hop music. They have to listen to gospel music or sermons. Reason being is I'm not trying to control you, but I know subliminally if I can reach you here, you'll have a better day. Right. If you go in there with that mentality, oh, this, that, and other hip-hop, boo-wop, bam-bam-boo, you're going to go in there with the wrong mentality. Right? Right. So now we want to we clean that up. Right. right? Yes, it's an hour ride sometimes. When you go from here to Sheboygan, that's an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Fargo said to us, uh, putting a man in a van, driving him an hour away, bringing him back eight hours later is not how you build a community. I beg to differ. <laughs> if ain't no jobs in the community. It's <laughs> a fascinating response from Senator Fargo. <laughs> very, very fascinating response. Amen. And so that's exactly how you build it. You, you right. remove that barrier right. because he couldn't ordinarily get there on their own. Right. And what I'm finding is that our shuttles are starting to get less and less people. Why do you think that is? Because more and more people are getting their lives together, right. getting driver's license, right. getting insurance, getting their own vehicles, right. and driving themselves. That's how you do it, baby. Right. That's how you do it, right? Exactly. And and that's our goal. We don't want we don't want to keep you trapped on a van forever. You know, I got some people that's been on the van since class one still. Sure. And, and I'm looking at them like, dude, 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 what are you doing? You know, and he makes sense. He's like, Pastor, I can't drive myself there cheaper than you can drive me there. Hey man, I ain't got a problem. He's done the math. You know, right. but he don't went got his license. Right. He don't went got his car. Right. He don't went got his apartment. And the boy finna get married. Young yes. black man finna get married. I love it. Right. He's figured out life and he's got, yes, and he's he's making a rational choice. And I like that. The comment from Senator Feingold is fascinating, right? Because what you're what you're doing, again, very tactically solving the op the very specific obstacles that individuals are facing and helping them get their mind and their heart right and just the basic skills so that they can take that next step. And then you're making it easier and then you're solving problems that they encounter once they're there. But you're also addressing a larger issue, which you know, a senator like Feingold and, and so many others should 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 own up and, and realize, it, which is that Milwaukee did used to be a hub, the machine shop of the world of yeah. manufacturing. And so many decisions have been made by so many policymakers that, again, I'm all for trade. I think trade's great. I think it's a net benefit for all of us. But the strategic mistakes have been made by American policymakers that have allowed so many jobs to go overseas for short-term gain when even those companies that made those decisions can now take a step back and say, we have made mistakes. <laughs> we have made mistakes, and there's incredible cost that long-term will be tied to the mistakes we've made. And again, this 
again, this is not a tirade against trade. I think trade's great. It opens up markets for the world. But our leaders should be strategic in how they think about these, the impact of us. And, and again, 100, 200 years from now, people will look back and it'll look like this all happened almost overnight. That from the early 1970s to today, a massive culling of manufacturing jobs in cities like Milwaukee and Detroit and Chicago that happened almost overnight in historical terms. And yes, of course, communities went through upheaval here. So again, we've talked about education today. We've talked about good relations with law enforcement and the importance of accountability in law enforcement. But then like long-term strategic leadership from the people that run a country to think, yeah, and I had an economist professor once who told, who told our class, well, trade is always balanced because you may be sending dollars overseas and getting goods back. That's still balanced trade. Mm -hmm. And technically, economically, that's correct. But if you are sending nothing but dollars overseas and you're not producing enough in your own country, that's a problem. It's a problem. And there's a cultural loss to that too that I really think we're seeing today. And then again, caught up in the, the political moment <clears throat> where people have lost that. Again, we're talking about faith, also lost an attachment to employers in their community, um, jobs that were five minutes from their house. They're not there anymore. You're solving that problem as best you can. But no senator should be looking down their nose at it and saying, well, that's not enough. Well, it's you have to deal with the world as it as exists. It yeah. Right. And you are. And that's all we can do. Right. We deal with the hand that's dealt to us. Right. And these larger issues need to be addressed, too. I think the world, you know, the world of today will not be the world of tomorrow. We need to think strategically long term about how we continue to build our economy in a way that does make sense. And I don't think that future is nothing but a bunch of high-end financial workers and then people in service industries and nothing in between. That's not a logical outcome for a society. And we need to think hard about that, too. We can't solve that all at once, though. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. Um, if you were going to give advice to someone that's just starting off the Joseph Project and tell them what it was going to take to succeed in, in the class, what would it be? What would you tell them on day one? Well, I need to take you back to Positively Milwaukee. Andrea and I sat down and had a conversation about this. And I said it then and I'll agree to it now. You've got to have a positive attitude. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be passionate about succeeding. We can't want it for you more than you want it for you. Mm -hmm. you got to want it for you more than anything and anybody on earth. And I want it for the people. Right. Amen. But you have to want it. And you have to want it so much so. As we, we talk about Eric Thomas. You you got to want to succeed more than you want to breathe. You got to want to succeed more than you want to sleep, more than you want to eat. You got to have that passion, that drive, that desire to make it. You got to have it. And if you don't have it, you might not be a fit for us. You're talking about the fact that it is one thing. People love you. They're there for you. They're, there's a network. But at the end of the day, you do control your destiny. And everything we talked about today is about supporting people and helping them, but you still control your destiny. You are the one that's going to drive your outcomes, and you have to seize control of your life and your opportunities. 2020 and has been a tumultuous year. It's been volatile, and, and there's been worse times in history. We, we both know that, um, but still respectful that many people feel out of sorts and feel like they're not sure what's coming next, to put it mildly. Um, what... Despite all that, what makes you most hopeful about the future of our country? When you think of uh, what still makes you optimistic about what's coming in the future, what is that? Truthfully, 
I read the back of the book. <laughs> if you go to the back of the book in Revelation, you find out we win. So because I already know how this is going to end, I'm content, brother. Content. I'm right. content. I already know we're going to win. Right. All the nonsense we're going through, it's just the process. Right. You know, sometimes I tell our church, you have to accept the process. You got to go through the motions. Mm -hmm. The Bible says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Mm -hmm. But the end is not yet. The Bible says that the world will be destroyed again. But it won't be water this time. It'll be fire. So when they have these massive hurricanes, I turn on the TV. They have these tsunamis, I, I see it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to make it through it. Why? Because I read the book. <laughs> right? If I can encourage people to do anything, read the book. Right. And if you don't figure out what book I'm talking about, <laughs> the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible, read Just for the book. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so I'm very optimistic about our future. Um, when we look, when we talk about the election that's coming up in, in, in 2020, um, I really don't know what the end result of that's going to be. Hmm. What I do know, at the end of the day, no matter who's in the White House, God is still in the big house. Absolutely. And so because of that, my hope, my faith, my trust is in the Lord. Hmm. Not necessarily in any particular president. Right. Um, can I see the value in having Trump for four years more? I can see that. Hmm. I can see that. Um, but if he loses, am I going to fall over and be dead? Absolutely not, right? Uh, I think the country will continue to move on. You know? Yeah, your faith in God to to keep your mind right, to keep your heart right, to do the best you can on earth, and, and to not, as they say, right, leave it all out in the field. Do the best we can, which is what you're doing every single day. Uh, but to know that, to your point, uh, God's got a plan. We don't know how every day of it is going to go. Um, but to have faith in that does give you peace, and it allows you then to work on the things you can work on and do the best you can with it. And what's amazing is when you read that book, you'll find out something interesting. Our plans are not always his plans. Yeah, I find that out every morning I wake up. <laughs> they say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah, yes, exactly. And then he'll send one of... Uh, your kids into your bedroom with a paper airplane on fire. There you go. Yeah, no, I, I could not agree with you more. So, Pastor Smith, it has been wonderful to catch up with you. You are uh, a great friend. We love you, and we respect so much what you're doing every day. I know it's not easy, um, but just know that the lives you've touched and the inspiration you've given flows throughout this entire state and beyond, and you should be incredibly proud of that. So, God, you all the glory. Amen. Amen. I appreciate you, man. Kevin, you know you always got a spot in my heart. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, or wherever you listen to podcasts.